0: Hi, I am Nicole J. Georges. I am a queer, feminist, vegan, cartoonist, teacher, and advice columnist living in Portland, Oregon, with my half-blind chihuahua, Ponyo Georges. Welcome to our podcast, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters, Sagittarian Matters. Sagittarian Matters, Noodle Taste Test with my friend Morgan. Then, Rocco Cayatos joins us to talk about mission statements, imposter syndrome, and more. Stay tuned. Morgan Grunstein-Helby. Oh, hey. We are both Reviewing alternative vegan pastas today. Who knew? Psychic Connection. Real fast, I want to tell you about mine. Vegan lobster mac and cheese.
1: Sounds gross.
0: Came in a box in the frozen food sections from Sophie's Kitchen. 100% plant-based seafood. So delicious. So delicious. (laughs) Gluten-free and soy-free. So I was immediately aroused.
1: (laughs) Those are your... Keywords on your Tinder profile. Gluten-free, soy-free, mm-hmm. rock hard.
0: So they also use Daya, which I like. Uh, the lobster, you might want to know what it's made of. It's made of something called cone jack, which is an ancient superfood. Love in, a superfood. High in
1: fiber and low in calories. Thank God. Thank God. What also makes a superfood? We've never even looked into this anyway. No, it's like it a supermodel.
0: Oh, can I tell you something? Yeah. These are the people that make vegan tuna. Which we ate? Which we have tried before. Oh my god, who knew? It all makes sense. I know. Okay, so the vegan lobster mac and cheese, I microwaved it. It, That was one of the ways you could make it. I microwaved it, and it it was a festival of mush, and it wasn't even salty enough.
2: So I had Mm -hmm. to add my
0: own salt and nutritional yeast and sriracha, and it became a hot, salty, mush which was fine, but like, I've never wanted for vegan lobster mac,
1: for a vegan version. <laughs> First thing on my order list at any new restaurant, you got a vegan lobster mac?
0: Hey, do you guys have lobster mac? Do you have a vegan version of that?
1: <laughs> lobster mac, that's a thing. You guys got a lobster mac?
0: <laughs> but uh, this, the surf and noodle was a totally weird <laughs> thing. I would not buy this again, I don't think, because it was gluten-free pasta, so that was a mush festival. No, thanks. The lobster itself was springing back at me, but also wasn't even, like, fishy enough to make it seem... like Gross.
1: Not fishy enough.
0: So, vegan seafood, huh? That's what it <clears> says <throat> on the back of it.
1: Yeah. This, this Sorry, have- Sophies. We've tried... Twice bitten, twice shy. Well, I'm going to continue to try
0: some of their other things, include coconut shrimp, vegan crab cakes, and vegan seafood jumble out. God help me. Nicole
1: Georges, you are a bolder soul. Than
0: <laughs> I'm going for that. Coming deep. back for more. Coconut, coconut shrimp. More. Okay. Coconut shrimp. So vegan so, lobster mac and cheese, too bold. Try again.
1: Ugh, too bold. So I have... A little sensation called organic black bean spaghetti, which is loaded with plant-based protein. And let me just tell you, I made a batch this morning. How much did that cost? uh, Memory serves me, I think, like $5. Okay. It's like so many servings. Like four. Four servings. So, like, dressed simply, it has... The texture of, so not just wet rubber bands or like soaked rubber bands, but also like if you harvested worms and then cooked them, I imagine like somewhere between the two, like too soft and too bouncy. And the flavor just gave me the shivers. I just, there's no amount of salt that was gonna really solve that one for me, although a little bit would help. Um, I just can't do it. I thought of you because. It has 25 grams of protein per serving, and it's just noodles.
0: You know what I they think? They
1: look beautiful, but
0: well, for memory serves, I think it has the mouthfeel of mealworms.
1: Like I want to say, yeah.
0: not just like a worm, but like a grainy worm. You know what I mean?
1: Ugh. It's making me grossed out. The longer I think about it, I can't get it out now. Also, like, like these are for like you know, I use them for. I don't know what, to feed your guppies or something. It's, I, don't, I don't feel like these are human. The more I return to them, the less I'm able to return to them.
0: I, I would like to go buy some and think <sighs> I wonder if I smothered
1: them in spaghetti sauce, if they would be okay. I really don't think it's going to be okay. I think that's what I did on a previous adventure. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll just give them the benefit of the doubt. I just, yeah, I'm sorry, Nicole. <laughs> Source your protein elsewhere.
0: So, black bean noodles.
1: I think it's a huge no. All the thumbs are down.
0: Vegan lobster mac and cheese. Thumbs (laughs) down, but if somebody brought this to a potluck, have a scoop. Just try it. Just
1: try it. Do yourself a favor. Nobody would bring
0: it to a uh, a potluck because it was like $7, but if they did.
1: (laughs) Also for like 0.5 ounces of serving.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. This was a single serving.
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Rocco Cayados is one of the founders of Original Plumbing Magazine. He was just featured on Season 3 of Transparent, used to rap under the name Catastrophe, and currently works for BuzzFeed. Rocco has had all kinds of jobs in his life, including being a poet, being a nutritional consultant, and more. You can find him at roccocayados.com. Rocco Coyotos! It's Cayados. Cayado, <laughs>
3: <laughs> We're off to Rocko. a terrible start. The K- name is Rocco. She just pulled a, a random hobo from the street to answer your advice questions. Rocco Cayados. <laughs> Thanks. It doesn't really matter, though. Doesn't it? No, not really. I, it kind I'm not of really does. Attached to the last name, it's not that big of a deal. Doesn't it
0: seem like I'm spitting on your heritage? Every time uh, I say you your know name?
3: who spit on my heritage were the gatekeepers of Ellis Island. They bastardized my <laughs> last name, so it's fine. What was it? It was like Cagliato. Cagliato. Cagliato.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: And now it's Kayotis. They didn't really make it easier or user-friendly.
0: My last name is a farce. Really? It's a complete farce. Our last name was Shaheen.
3: See? Who changed that?
0: Ellis Island changed it See? to George.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Which makes sense. Why go from Caggiato ki- to Cagliato? Seems like Cagliato is easier to say than Cagliato. I think they're
0: both. They should have just called you like. They
3: should have called us Smith.
0: Josh or something. Yeah. yeah.
3: <laughs> the catch-all.
0: Grandpa Josh. Smith or
3: Johnson? Rocco <laughs> Johnson is here <laughs> to answer.
0: <laughs> Rocco Wait. What is that? Greek? Yeah. Johnson's. Uh, oh, no. Not, Johnson's
3: not Greek. Cagliato is Greek.
0: But George...
3: But it's all Greek to me.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> does this make any sense? Who
3: cares? <laughs> my listeners... Okay, I know. I'm just saying, who cares? No one George... cares what
0: name George... Oh, no. I have a run in my tights.
3: It's true. She does have a run in her tights. <laughs> I'm here to confirm. I'm
0: about to go to a fancy event. I have a run in my tights. Uh, um,
3: can't take you anywhere nice.
0: My grandfather... It's a cute dress, though. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to describe it for the listeners?
3: Is it a fancy event?
0: No, it's just a reading where I want to look pretty good.
3: Okay. You look pretty good. Thanks. Yeah. Can
0: you describe this dress for my listeners?
3: Sure. The dress is like a neutral tone, like a cream color, and it has all kinds of beautiful animals all over it, and then, uh, like, flowers. Yeah. I'm not doing a good have a job. it a Peter Pan collar. No, oh, I didn't notice the collar. <laughs> yeah.
0: You can't, because my hair's all over it. Um, my grandfather added an S to the end of George to sound French, when he was applying to law school. And it just stuck. So people have thought I was Greek Mm. or French ever since. Mm. Anyway, I'm glad you like this dress. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's
3: a really cute dress.
0: Rocco, we have a listener question. Okay. But wait, before we answer it, how would you describe yourself now?
3: What my job is right now? Yeah. Uh, My job took a strange turn last year, um, or a little longer than a year ago. I had a brief creative residency at BuzzFeed. And then I was hired on to do... Well, I was hired to manage the fellowship and create ongoing learning opportunities. And now I do that in addition to a bit of HR work. So I would say that initially my job there was kind of this collection of all these things that I had been doing. It was like, as the listener um identified I have done so many different things and I've worn a lot of different hats in those roles all backwards yeah well or sideways oh that was an unfortunate pit (laughs) stop in 2008 where I wore a sideways baseball cap for a moment
0: (laughs) did you ever flip up the brim
3: uh yeah
0: okay okay
3: yeah I did that too
0: you've worn a lot of hats but in
3: a like punk skater way so it was cute yeah I like that in a way that I can get behind now not like wacky Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of things and I've always liked to manage my own career. So when I was a musician and touring, I did everything. So I was road managing myself. I was booking. I was literally doing everything, um, which lent itself nicely to the role that I'm in now because I have to do everything and I was prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and nothing felt overwhelming and I felt versatile and agile enough to kind of like do whatever was asked of me.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, how do you feel starting over in all these different things you've done? Because you have worn so many hats. Mm-hmm. And, you know, starting over, you know, getting an office job basically at BuzzFeed.
3: First office job of my life yeah. at age 36. And so. 36,
0: after you've been building a career as not only a rapper, but also, I mean, you were educating people about trans issues
3: mm-hmm. way back in early 2000 when it wasn't really on most people's radar. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess this person's like asking like... I see myself as an, an enter. I'll use a phrase that KRS-One, um, for those of you who don't know who that is, he's a, an old school rapper. Um, he coined the term education, or I'm sorry, edutainment. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Can you, omit now, what's, that? What's, Can you omit that what's, part? What's it called,
0: education? Wait, hold
3: on. I want to say also <laughs> that I'm at the end of a an eight-hour work day, and I'm a little bit fried because today was an extra special day.
0: So Grandmaster Flash.
3: Yeah, come on. <laughs> <Like Mr>. KRS-One <laughs> created the term edutainment, and I feel like I've always kind of uh, related to that in the way that I approach my work. Is that ridiculous? You're just still laughing that I said education. <laughs> You guys, he created this term to describe learning opportunities called education. You may have heard of it before. If you haven't heard of him, I'm sure you've heard of education.
0: <laughs> that spread really far and wide. <laughs> <laughs> it really got on.
3: I don't... Did edutainment catch on? Have you heard that term oh, before? Oh, I don't know
0: about edutainment.
3: Have you heard that term before?
0: Maybe. Yeah. I think I have. So, I mean, it's kind of similar to like infographic. But I like all these things. You know, it's just like you're blending information with something that people already want to see because it's entertaining. Yeah. And it's accessible. It's easy to have bites of.
3: Yeah. And also, I feel like even before I had heard that term in my early teens, I was doing... What? Are you still laughing about education?
0: I'm so sorry. Jesus Christ.
3: Get it together.
0: I bring people on the podcast to laugh at them the whole time. Oh, I don't
3: I don't care that you're laughing about okay. me. It's just disruptive to us moving on. <laughs> the sorry. listeners are trying to move on too, but we're just stuck in this one-liner joke that's like forever, like well, however long this podcast is, it's just Nicole in the background laughing because I <laughs> lost my word.
0: Okay, um, so Eminem has this term. Good um, God,
3: girl. <laughs> Let's see. Where were we at? Lose yourself. No, come on. <laughs> Lose music. yourself in this podcast that's just focused on, on the word I'm like... scrambling, trying to, to stay present. And you are just okay. So uprooting Rocco. us. Let's give Nicole a final moment to laugh about <laughs> education.
2: <laughs> Hi, this question is for Rocco. Um, so I know that Rocco used to be and maybe still is an amazing rapper and hip-hop artist and then i have also seen rocco like model and like um for original plumbing and uh and act on transparent um and now i feel like i've noticed that rocco also does all this amazing like health and wellness nutrition stuff and i'm just wondering like um advice on career transitioning because like i feel like i've gone from so many careers and I just want advice on that because it always feels like starting over and I kind of hate starting from the very (laughs) bottom and having to do everything over again so I would just love advice on like really how to stay you know you have all this experience so like how to kind of be seen at the same level even though you're starting in a whole new career field because it seems like you've done a really good job of that. Okay,
3: thanks. It's a struggle. It's an ongoing struggle. Um, I think that imposter syndrome is real, especially if you are a person who's pursuing an alternative kind of work path, uh, or not alternative necessarily, but if you're a person who's uh, pursuing self-employment, then imposter syndrome looks different. And I can speak to that now because I've been working in an office job, ostensibly an office job, for the past year and, and three months. And that imposter syndrome feels very different than when I'm starting a new branch of whatever self-employment I've started. So fresh out of high school, I skipped college and I uh, started working at a nonprofit called Youth Speaks. And it was because I won the Youth Poetry Slam that I was uh, gained access to that job. And then once I was like solid there, Sister Spit took me on tour. And from there, I was like, well, I'm going to professionally try alcoholism for six months. <laughs> <laughs> How did it go for you? No, it was good. I was a master at that. <laughs> successful. Yeah, really successful. Um, no, but a- after I went on Sister Spit, I was like, well, what What do I want to do? Because spoken word didn't feel like something that I wanted to continue pursuing. Um, I had a, a girlfriend at the time who's still a friend who... Said, make a list of all the things you want to do and just do eeny meeny miny mo. Um, if you're a person who has a lot of varied interests, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel like I've been doing that eeny meeny miny mo forever because um, since then, you know, then I went on to to rap, and then from rapping, I also was making a magazine. Um, while I was rapping, that sort of changed as I got more college shows. I started uh, focusing more on how can I uh, create that education piece for the colleges. So I would do workshops and a show. And then I started doing my performances started changing. So I was doing like a bit of like improv stand-up, a uh, bit of motivational speaking, um, with a song to like accentuate whatever I was speaking about. Um, so that changed, uh, I think like the short answer to all the, and then now I'm working at Buzzfeed, but I've had other jobs in between them. Like you identified, I was health coaching for a second. Um, I did other things as well that were less successful. So they were less public. So you probably don't even know about them. a the um, juggler. Yeah. That, so bad at fought, that. swallowing swords. <clears throat> terrible. I have a, yeah. Oh yeah. Horrible. We're not talking about that. that. Yeah. Um, But even like acting, I don't, I'm not pursuing acting. It's an accident, but it comes as a result of me building this solid foundation of consistently working. So one thing that I would say propels me forward is the fear of uh, being broke. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the foundation is like, I'm afraid I'm going to be broken homeless. And then from that fear sprouts this confidence that I've always been able to take care of myself and... Also a confidence that if I don't like something, I'll do something else. And I feel like that there's the ego piece is like, if you are too wrapped up in your ego, you will never be able to humble yourself to the fact that you might not want to do something. Like if I was still rapping, that would be so painful for me and for everyone else. In part, because I felt like we or doing spoken word. God, imagine if I felt like I could only have one career path. I'd still be doing teenage slam poetry, you know, <laughs> Hi, Rocco. You know, I, no. it's like, well, no, I, that's not what my poetry is.
0: Like, I'm sorry, I'm like,
3: sorry. Really. That's okay. Um, uh, that's my impression of... Like, you didn't hear my slam poetry. No, I, in nature? general,
0: not yours. Because of course in, I wasn't in there. I wasn't like born yet. You
3: outgrow these things, right? So we're the same age. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. She's trying to age me too now. Make me sound like a stupid old man. <laughs> um, but I do think, like, in part, uh, I, I read somewhere that... Everyone has, like, six jobs or something in their lifetime. Six careers. Oh, God, I have something them all at like the same that. time. Right. That's great. Mm-hmm. You have them all at the same time, right? That's mm-hmm. awesome. So if one doesn't, like, suit your fancy anymore, then you can just drop it off and keep doing other things. And then you make room for other things. So if you stop doing what is that terrible old phrase of, like, God closes a window but opens the door? Or closes the door and opens a window? Yeah. Same thing. It's, like, if, if you don't want to do what you're doing anymore... Then think about what you do want to do and figure out how to do that. And in terms of like a, an entry point, you have to start at the beginning. And the beginning should start as you're like ending something else. So, as I was figuring out, like with this health coaching thing, before that, I went to a brief, briefly, I went to like UCB to do their improv because I thought maybe I want to do stand up. And then I realized that I am not masochistic enough to try that art form. And then I thought, Well, maybe I'd want to do voiceovers. So then I took a bunch of classes in voiceover work, pursued that for a bit, um, realized that I didn't want to do that type of hustle. But one thing I knew during both of those things, and then I ultimately uh, went to to school to do um, health and lifestyle coaching. But what I learned in that moment of questioning was I was 33 when I started questioning. I was so uncomfortable with uh, living what felt like the teenage, like, the tail end of my teenage dream for myself being like a, a musician or being you know a celebrity in that type of way of I didn't want that anymore and I realized that it I didn't it was very painful a three year process of discovering that it was okay to change my mind mm-hmm. and then to fail at things so that failure was like a crucial piece of me understanding that that will be a thing that happens throughout life. And ultimately if I'm a person who pursues my passions as opposed to getting a desk job that I hate then I would I'll always be happier in moments of discomfort uh, in something that I'm pursuing with passion than I will be in moments of like comfortably doing some shitty job I hate. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Um... So, I just had Corin Tucker on the podcast a couple of weeks ago
3: mm-hmm.
0: and somebody, you know, they had a question like, Oh, I, you know, I went to law school or something like that. And everyone that I was in school with has gone on to succeed financially and they have these jobs. I kind of want to do art or something different, but I feel, you know, mm-hmm. nervous or corn was like, you know, do it now while you're young before you have a lot of obligations mm-hmm. People I know that never pursued the thing they actually wanted to do and just went for the security of a desk job regret it Yeah, because it's harder to start putting, making yourself vulnerable in that way when you're older and haven't done it or don't have, you haven't practiced that skill or you haven't built up that muscle of doing
3: that.
1: I
0: mean, for
3: sure. Um, though I will say that we are, we in America live in a culture that is so preoccupied with um, precocious youth that we don't really celebrate uh, late bloomers mm. as much. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's okay to not know what you want to do until you're like 40, 50 years old and then do it. If you figure out that there's something you want to do. So you could work at a bank for your whole life and then write a masterpiece at age 70. Mm-hmm. And that's almost more valuable in my opinion because you're more now- wisdom. You have more wisdom, your book's going to be better. But um, beyond that, too, it's like we... uh, Because of this youth-obsessed culture, we think that it's too late. It's too late. It's too late to do this. It's too late to start a new career. It's too late to, uh, to quit being a lawyer because i went to law school and invested all this shit you can give yourself all these itemized like specific reasons why it's too late to do something but i think that we don't live in a culture that's risk-taking that celebrates like a different path that um that celebrates someone who's like over the age of 25 that's entering into something new um i think that we also get locked into this idea of like well, what do you want to do? Which is like this singular kind of uh, expectation of like, do you want to be a painter? Then be a painter. But what if that painter also wants to be a writer, wants to uh, work in finances? What if they want to do all these other things? Why does it have to be this single kind of path? So for me, it's a constant struggle too. It sounds like I feel comp And speaking about it, it's like, oh yeah, I have it down. Even right now, I'm in this moment of, of Change where I feel like, am I actually happy with the job that I'm doing? Do Mm -hmm. I want to do this? And I think the answer is no. (laughs) You know, not forever. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do anything forever. The Mm -hmm. idea of doing anything forever is terrifying and horrifying and upsetting.
0: Being my best friend forever.
3: Well, sure. Okay. I can, I I can, like, Mm -hmm. I can be down with a relationship forever. Terrifying. Horrifying. Doesn't scare me. Friends. Yeah, it doesn't scare yeah. me to think about being with people forever. That's not terrifying. But the idea of committing to one career path is like, what the hell? Why would you? We don't even know what exists yet. In 10 years from now, the world will look completely different. Do you want to be locked into this idea or this framework that you have to be pursuing this one path forever?
0: Yeah. Uh, three things I want to say. One... You're when God closes a door, He opens a window. Mm -hmm. I'd like to add on to that something Mm -hmm. I heard at group therapy, which is when one door, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. But it's hell in the hallway, which is true. So when you're struggling in that moment, like when you let go of the side of the pool, or you go out that door that closed, and you know that there's another opportunity, it feels very uncomfortable in between the opportunities. Mm -hmm. Between it, like when you close a door, or when you let go of that side of the pool, like you're gonna feel uncomfortable and scared and vulnerable. And it might feel really bad for a minute before oh, yeah. the next opportunity comes. It's just like when you end a relationship. Totally. And you needed to end that relationship. And you're in that moment where are like, maybe I'm going to die alone. Maybe that's yeah. the only person I'll ever like. Like, it's not true. But you need to just sit in that uncomfortable feeling so you can grow yeah. and be ready for the next opportunity.
3: Sure. And you have no idea what's in store for you. And that purgatory state is really, like profoundly uncomfortable and you might be in it for a couple weeks and you might be in it for a decade yeah. you know you don't know how long
0: knock on wood not a decade but you could
3: knock on wood but I mean I kind of feel like I've been in this like limbo state for the past three to five years where I'm like what do I want to do because I was so sure of what I wanted to do in hindsight I was so sure of what I wanted to do but if I really deep dive into like when I was pursuing these the the career of being like a rapper and performing mostly at colleges I had to keep growing and changing with that mm-hmm. and when I was bored and restless I added other things like making a magazine into it or like I think you just have to say yes to all opportunities that mm-hmm. are exciting to you and then I feel like I'm not addressing the, the listener's specific question which was about feeling like how do you feel like not a novice when yeah. you're like how do you enter can you just that accept
0: in? that you are a novice I mean Rocco that's part of
3: it but, you
0: I want to cut in and say something yeah. You just named all these different things you've done. Yeah. But I feel like if you personally right da- right now sat down and wrote your um, um your mission statement, mm. I feel like all the things that you have done correlate with that mission statement. Mm. So I mean, those things all seem like the thing they have in common is you. But the thing they have in common is like um, empowerment through self expression mm. and like trans issues and self care mm. and like those things in general. And I feel like everything you've done. Does those things. That's like true. Like promotes alternative voices, yeah, but teaches what about, people. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, even when you're just entertaining people, you're still teaching people something. Yeah, that's true. In every role you've been in.
3: Even as like a teen. I feel like, yeah, the, my core statement, I won an award as in preschool. And Not to all, brag. Everyone got the their graduation from preschool. They had like a little footnote of like what made them special. And mine was a uh, friend to the underdog. And I feel like that's been my core value throughout life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's true. So it does have to have one basket to be contained in to make sense. And I think if you don't have like a great sense of yourself, then it would be good for you to kind of do exactly what you said. It's kind of a call to action. Of write like, your
0: mission statement. Write
3: your mission statement. Who are you? And it doesn't have to be overthought because if you're overthinking it, it's not, it's that's probably actually not your mission statement. Um, I think that if you sit down and you think, what is the driving force of my life? And mine is kind of what you identified. I've actually identified it on my resume because I had to write a resume to join the real workforce. But it was that I have a passion for uh, creating space and media around lives that live outside the mainstream. Yeah. That's it. So if you can maybe make it like that like just a simple sentence of what your mission statement is like Nicole do you know what yours is
0: yeah like I would say mine is I really believe in empowerment through Mm self-expression both for myself and I really want to help other people have accessibility to that and helping animals yeah that's the gist everything else kind of goes with that like doing a podcast to like reveal the process Mm -hmm. of how artists live um teaching making comics working with senior citizens yeah. like making my own stuff making calendars it's all revolves around that and i know the animal part seems like a little like what but it's no
3: because all beings right yeah 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 and animals can
0: express themselves so here i am
3: that's really sweet i can't
0: really empower animals through self-expression except for like coco the gorilla or maybe laurel brightman and i are going to do it an elephant art workshop somewhere
3: oh really which would
0: blow my mind anyway yeah um, but that's my mission statement
3: so I feel to just like wrap up and kind of answer that question specifically, um, you have to everyone. You have to remember that everyone feels like an imposter at most points in their life. Everyone feels like they're faking it. So just fake it. And I always approach things by if you if you treat yourself as an expert, even if you're just beginning at something, um, then everyone else defers to you as an expert. Mm-hmm. That might be a natural gift that I have, but I think that like everyone has access to that if they want it. Mm. Um, if you take up space in a way that exudes confidence and capableness then there's no reason that everyone wouldn't think that you're competent and capable So, especially starting as like a healthcare person like creating that kind of thing that's like the audacity to say that you know how to counsel someone uh, in how to better take care of themselves feels big but it's like no we've been living on the planet I know how to guide people to So it's this kind of constant battle mm-hmm. with self of like, remove your ego. What's your purpose? Where are you coming from with this offering? How can you be of service, right? Mm-hmm. How are you improving the world? Not only your, your own, because if you're thinking about how to selfishly gain, then you'll never succeed. But if you're thinking about what you're offering and how that will benefit not only you, but everyone else, then those, those gains will be profound.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I feel like... um With the expert thing, you don't even need to be... It doesn't need to be, like, uh, boy facting. It doesn't need to be, like, where you're, like, pretending like you know something that you don't Mm -hmm. know just to say you know it. But it is, like, just the idea that you deserve to be there. Yes. Whether or not you believe it, you deserve to be there. Once I was on a grant judging committee, and we got, you know, this huge packet of, like, 70 grant applications, and they were like, everyone in this binder deserves to be here. Mm. They've all earned a place here. It's just for you to decide who the best ones are. Yeah. So everyone deserves to be, you know, in whatever the place you are and you just need to own it. And the yeah. other thing is that's why I feel qualified to be an advice columnist because I don't have wishy-washy advice. Right. I may not have the number one perfect advice of all time because no one does, but I'm right. willing to say, here's what I think you should do. Yeah. Based on what you said. And cause you're asking. Yeah. Um, and so I'm... And
3: take it or leave it, right? Take it
0: or, take it or leave it, yeah. So you yeah. can act like an expert at something at your job and act like you are allowed to take up space there. And if people...
3: Yeah. I'm going to make a guess that most of your listeners are uh, queer or female. How dare you. And I'm going to say as a queer person that I like to encourage all people, especially now that I'm in a, a role where I'm working in like the real world in the, for the first time as an adult... Um, I encourage all people who are not cisgendered straight white men to when approaching their uh, livelihood in all forms, whether you're negotiating a contract, whether you're like entering your first day of work somewhere, no matter where you are, take a moment to get in touch with what it would feel like to be a cisgendered, straight white man mm-hmm. and then take up space like that.
0: Will you please and, really quickly describe what that what you mean when you say that?
3: Okay, so what I mean is cisgendered straight white men don't even question their privilege. They don't even know that privilege exists because they have never been on the disadvantaged side. So they're never thinking about like how am I taking up space? They just fucking take up the space. When it comes time to talk about a salary they're like, I want more. And they would never think like, is it okay if I ask for more? Because that's what, how I come from. Where I come from in this background of being socialized, female, being queer, being trans, all of that adds up to me feeling like I don't deserve anything. So, I enter most conversations, most rooms, etc., as I don't deserve. But then when I'm face-to-face with the larger world and I'm outside the queer community and I'm outside a community that's mostly female, where in those spaces I try to take up less space because I am a white straight man, but in the larger world I'm a queer person, a trans person, and I I haven't had all the same advantages. I come from a broke family, etc. I wasn't taught about money. All these things that add up to a fair amount of lacking privilege. So I think... What would I do in this situation in order to take care of myself to take up space like a cisgendered straight white man? So when I was negotiating my salary, I was like, well, what would a straight man who's never had to question his privilege, how would he ask for this? Because I was like, is it okay if I ask for $5,000 more this year? It's like, yeah, it's fucking okay. Ask for $50,000 more. Just be extreme. Be excessive. Um, take up space in a way that like when you're riding the subway and you see some dude taking up space think about that energetically when you're negotiating on behalf of yourself because you're deserving of that space and no one has taught us intrinsically to breathe that into us on a cellular level that we are deserving of that space and that we should ask for those things because if you don't ask for that shit from the universe from whatever like deity you pray to energetically from your fucking boss then you're never going to get better
0: yeah It's true. I think that's a great note to end on. That's powerful advice. We just did a high five, everyone. Uh, Gia, is that your final your final word?
3: I think so. Do you have you ever channeled your straight white man?
0: I I actually had a big meeting here in L. A. in like January. And my friend, who was coaching me, was told me that exact same advice. Mm. She was like, "I want you to try to channel the entitlement of a straight white man yeah. when you go there." And then, like, I totally was power posing. That's the other thing I did. Yeah, like I had my arms up, like a superhero in the in the cab on the way to this meeting in like Beverly Hills. Yeah, I was power posing. I was like power posing in the bathroom holding my water bottle. I was like, I got this. And then I did the best I could. And I think I'm getting better at it. Mm -hmm. The other person I asked for advice, which is on a previous episode of the podcast, Laura Lee. So if you ask ask a sex worker about negotiating, like she has incredible advice Mm. about negotiating salaries, negotiating for what she wants. Because she has to negotiate all the time, all kinds of things for her job. And she was like, I don't even think you need to think about a straight white man. I just think she was like, I think you should listen to me. I was like, oh, so you can listen to either of us. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I love that advice. I think that's a great place to, uh, to end. And I think that my listeners would be very lucky if they all take this on and and do it. And also
3: harness it. Just let that be like, you deserve the best.
0: Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Panyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. Sagittarian matters. One more thing. Referencing another episode, Beth Ditto and I were talking about um, grace and taking up, like, when people tell you, like, hey, I like the thing you just did, being able to accept it and say thank you for that. Um, and we were talking about how, like, straight white men will self deprecate a lot. Mm-hmm. And, like, but as a person who's marginalized and doesn't have that much privilege, self deprecation, you don't need to do that. No. Because actually, the world's already deprecating you. So you can just skip past the self deprecation stage and the yeah. false humbleness and just accept that you're good enough. And then if people are telling you something, Try to let it sink in. Yeah. You need that extra boost, I think.
3: Yeah, just say thank you. It's a, That's a practice skill, too. If someone says something nice, don't be like,
1: Oh, it was nothing.
3: Which it is not what anything. I do all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I practiced. I practice now. You know, it's been great to have these training wheels of being in, like, a an office environment because I had selected everyone around me, so I was just only interfacing with queer people all the time. And it's a really different environment. And it's nice to be the only trans person in the room and feel confident and that feels different. And it feels like, Oh, I deserve to have a seat at this table and to be listened to and to be seen as valuable. And not just because I'm trans and not because of like any of these like marginalized facets that add credibility or diversity to the room, but because I'm a person and I've had these lived experiences and because all people are deserving of time and space and energy. And I think that that is like what you're saying about like that depreciation of, of being a person who's of marginalized experience it's real and it does affect you on like a deep cellular level. And it just is a constant practice.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: You're worthy. You deserve it. Channel that entitlement.
0: Booyah. All right. Thanks Rocco.
3: Cool. Thanks.